Well, good morning. It is so good to see you all. How are you doing? Great. And those of you who are tuning in at home, thank you for uh, joining us and being a part. We want you to know that we understand everybody's in a different spot, but we're just grateful that you can tune in and still be a part of our gathering. And I just want to thank everybody, whether you're here in the Life Center or at home, thank you for your understanding and your flexibility. We are all trying to figure out how to move forward together with everything changing constantly in our culture, in our city, in our church. It's a challenge. And one of the things that I want to continue to put before us Sun River Church, brothers and sisters in Christ, is that we are marked by love for each other and love for the world. And so thank you for um, following the recommendations and uh, wearing masks, and we're trying our best to do social distancing, and really, um, out of love for each other, this is why we do this. It's the main, re- not the only reason, but the main reason why we do this. And, and it's, it's different, I understand it's awkward, and we're, we're trying to adjust ourselves Um, We're looking at every option to possibly do multiple live services, if that's what's best. Right now, we're televising over to the Family Life Center, as well as televising home. We'll continue to live stream. But I want to let you know something that we're going to add next week that we're going to try out. As we've listened to comments and we've tried to interact, this came up a couple months ago, and and we thought about it, and I thought, I don't know if that's a good idea, the first time we came live on campus. And then my daughter, Sydney, who is back from... Uh, Orange County, she's sitting down here in the front. She called me last week and she said, Dad, I went and visited this church and they had this idea and I liked it and I talked to them about it. I'm like, man, okay, we're going to give it a shot. So here's what's going to happen next week. When you come in, there's going to be three different colors of wristbands. What we're trying to do is alleviate some of the awkwardness. We're trying to, to let you know it's okay wherever you're at um, and it's a way of communicating. There are three types of wristbands we're going to provide. They're free. You just grab the one that you want or the one that you want to communicate to others. The red wristband simply means, please, I'm happy to see you, but stay six feet apart. I'm compromised or I'm not ready for a handshake. The yellow wristband says, we can shake hands, we can elbow bump. And then the green wristband says, greet me with a holy kiss. Actually, no. It doesn't mean that. My first thought was, well, those that have a red wristband will feel like they're kind of outed. And I talked with Sydney about it, and she's like, no, people are interacting. It takes the uncomfortableness away for that person to just be able to interact and not worry about the awkward, can we hug, can we not hug, I don't know. And so it just takes all that away. So wherever you're at, I just want you to know, we're just glad you're on campus. We're glad you're here and willing to be here. And we're trying to create an atmosphere where you can be comfortable and you can belong and be loved, no matter where you're at on that spectrum. Okay, so we'll be doing that next week. We want to let you know about that. And then those of you who are on site, you can notice we've got uh, some changes going on. A year and a half ago, the church was surveyed by the elders, and during the search, one of the things that came up was that that you wanted the church to be upgraded a little bit and uh, wanted some renovations. And so the board, the staff has listened to that, so you'll notice we started changing uh, the bathrooms and redoing the bathrooms as a starting point. We kind of did a soft redo of the lobby. And so just to update you on that, the bathrooms are being updated. And uh, if you, you need to use the restroom on campus, you can go across to the Family Life Center. We've got those ready for everybody to use, whether you're in the Worship Center or in the Family Life Center. 
And um, I just, it, when you go over there, just, just take a big sniff. Because the new ones don't smell like that. And we're so excited. They'll be done in a couple of weeks. Sorry about that. I, I just couldn't resist. Um, the new ones will be done in a couple of weeks, and we're redoing the library and turning it into a connect cafe with coffee and stuff like that. We're just upgrading a few things. It was something that the congregation wanted, and we listened to that. And uh, so we just want to be mindful of that. We're doing our best and going above to be good stewards of the money and also not just fix things to fix things, but also want to magnify our mission and our vision to help people follow Jesus. That's what God has commanded us to do. Um, you'll also notice, those of you who are in the worship center, there's a little bit different sound setup. Um, we've had some professionals come in and evaluate, and our amps are dated, our speakers, our sound system are dated to the point of where we can't rely on them, so we're using right now what we used in the parking lot, the youth room sound system. It's not the best, but it'll get us through this next phase, and you're going to notice that we're gonna, there's going to be some new sound equipment coming in, because we're going to have to do this so that we can continue to live stream we can continue to, to amplify sound and do it, it for quality in here. So we just want to let you know about that. And if God is pulling on your heart, I'm just going to say as your pastor, if God is pulling on your heart to help with some of those funds above and beyond your giving, um, I just encourage you to uh, follow God's lead in um, helping us to provide the funds uh, to be able to do this. Again, we want to be uh, very mindful and good stewards of God's um, generosity through you and to us. So if you have any questions about that, you can talk to me or talk to one of the elders. Be fantastic. Grab your Bibles. We're in the third week in this series called The Blueprints of a Dangerous Church. A dangerous church is a church that seeks to glorify God above anything and everything else. That God's word and his will and ultimately his supreme glory reign. And in Revelation John writes to these seven different churches in Asia Minor, and he's got some good things to say to them, but he's also got some bad things to say to them. He's got some correcting and exhorting to do. And as we look at these seven churches, we want to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us, not just as a church, not just as an organism or an organization, but more importantly as individual followers of Jesus Christ. Because that's what makes up the church. So as we go through these letters, uh, like Chris said, I, I want to encourage you to think personally about your love for God. It was the letter to the church in Ephesus. Return to your first love. I want you to reflect on God's sovereignty as you may be struggling through something that's really hard the second letter was a letter helping us to build a theological viewpoint or a theology of suffering that honors God. And today, we're going to look at the compromising church of Pergamum. So grab your Bibles and go to Revelation chapter 2. And as we kind of get back to being on site and we relaunch um, and fix some of the media stuff and get things dialed in. We'll get back to PowerPoints and videos, and we're just trying to catch up. So grab your Bibles. I'm going to encourage you to look at this with your own eyes. If you've uh, got your Bible on your app, open it up. And uh, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2 
12 through 17, and in the weeks to come, hopefully we'll have some PowerPoints so you can follow along on the screens. I want to invite you to stand as the Word of God is spoken to us. This is God's Word. These are the very words of God written to us. This is what we believe as the authority of Scripture is spoken to us. Revelation chapter 2. 12 through 17, starting in verse 12. And to the angel of the church of Pergamum write, the words of him who has a sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast to my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, Antipas, I'm sorry, Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers... I will give some of the hidden manna. I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except for the one who receives it. Will you remain standing as we pray? Lord, help us to hear what you have for us today. Will you open our hearts and our minds and our ears will you convict us but lord will you convict us in a way that leads us into your loving arms convict us in a way that helps us to know and see your grace your grace that is irresistible and find peace and comfort in your words and in your promises we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. You can be seated. In uh, 1996, Tony Campalo wrote a book called Who Switched the Price Tags? It's an old book. And the story or the premise of the book is that these pranksters, at the end of a day, snuck into a store right before it closed, they hid out, and then they switched all the price tags in the store. You can imagine the chaos that this created. Customers came in the next day. It was a state of confusion. It became evident that something had gone terribly wrong. The items that had usually carried very high prices, such as television sets and entertainment centers, 
had ridiculously low prices. They didn't steal anything. They just switched the prices of everything. Low price tag items had very expensive tags on them. The premise of the book is, how did we get so far off? In our world, it's easy to see this. It's as if somebody has gone around and switched the price tags on everything. Things that ought to be, and this is the premise of the book, things that ought to be treated as priceless. Things like family and friends and faith, love. Things that are supposed to be priceless have become unimportant in our culture. And things like wealth, stuff, individualism, materialism, consumerism are valued above everything else. This compromise on values is what causes division and brokenness and hate and on and on and on. Valuing the wrong things. Things that are rooted in selfishness while sacrificing things that are priceless. They just mess up a culture. They mess up a church. They mess up a family. When the value of things are switched, it is always because of compromise. When values are switched, it is always because of compromise. And compromise kills. I think it's important by way of introduction to kind of talk through two basic forms of compromise. Warren Wearsby does a phenomenal job in his um, commentary on this book talking about wise compromise and worldly compromise. And I think it's important for us to kind of define and look at these two things as we jump into a church that is riddled with compromise. Wise compromise means coming to a mutual agreement he says, by mutual concession to find or follow a way between two extremes. It holds people together. It holds friendships and marriages and churches together. Wise compromise gives up personal preference and selfish desires for the sake of unity and peace. This is all throughout scripture. Paul talks about wise compromise and unity and peace. He says things like this, make every effort to do what leads to unity. In another place, he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bonds of peace. However, wise compromise is different than worldly compromise. 
wise compromise does not mean you throw in the towel on crucial doctrines or essential doctrine and essential morality, crucial morality. Wearsby goes on to say worldly compromise, which is also defined as shameful or dishonest allowance or tolerance. It's the kind of compromise that backs away from moral principles and easily surrenders truth for a lie. I'll put it another way. It's very strong, I understand. Truth for a preference that contradicts truth. Worldly compromise is founded on selfish and impure motives. He talks a lot about this. Again, it divides people. It breaks hearts. It damages relationships. It's like rust or erosion in a person's life. Worldly compromise can slowly and silently and subtly eat away at truth. And it starts, it begins when you mute truth, like you're watching TV and you mute truth from your ears, but you continue to gaze at the culture and the corruptions, the pride of life, the lust of the eyes. Eventually, not only will you begin to put up because of worldly compromise, you'll put up with sin, you'll also begin to engage in it. You'll begin to accept it. Listen, biblical truth and godliness cannot exist in a culture of worldly compromise. There's wise compromise, but worldly compromise completely contradicts God's character and his commands. It's subtle. We become preoccupied with this we become preoccupied with a temporal system of life when we compromise. We become preoccupied with something that's not going to last, and we take our eyes off something or someone that's eternal. Paul again said, don't be conformed by the world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. That's Romans 12, 2. You see, the church in Pergamum, they've slipped into compromise. They need to hear this message. 
They need to listen to the words of Christ. The, the ways of their world and worldly and wicked city have crept into their ways. And they've given in to the swelling tides of false doctrine and questionable morality. And the truth is, is church, Sun River Church, brothers and sisters, we need this message. I need this message in my life. We need this message. We need to hear what Christ is saying to us today. And so John maps this out with a very simple outline. It's one of my favorite outlines in the seven churches. John masterfully gives us what I believe are four crucial reasons why Christians must cling to truth and not compromise. As, to po- as opposed to focusing solely on, hey, don't compromise, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. No, he focuses on the truths we need to cling to. You need to look at truth, not focus on darkness. And he does it here. He explains darkness, but he has us focus on truth. And he wants us to cling, to grip the truth so that we don't compromise with the lies. Four reasons you and I must cling to truth. Verse 12, we see the first reason. It says this, And to the angel in the church of Pergamum write, The words of him who has a sharp two-edged sword. Reason number one, that we need to cling to truth and not compromise is because of the justice of God. The justice of Jesus, our risen Lord and Savior. In Revelation 1.16, the first chapter of Revelation, it gives this declaration of Jesus, that out of his mouth comes a sharp, two-edged sword. This explanation of him who has a sharp, two-edged sword is referencing Jesus and his judicial authority as our Lord and Savior. He is the final judge. Authority comes from his word, from his mouth. And it works like a double-edged sword. His word is sharp. We see this in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, when they stood up and they preached the gospel, they preached the word of God. It says, now they, were, they heard these words and they were cut to the heart. The words of God cut to their heart. The sharp two-edged sword also refers to God's word in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, where it says this, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Pierce as far as division of soul and spirit, of both joint and marrow. It's able, listen, it's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
God's word cuts to the heart. We must cling to truth as our authority. We must listen to it. We must allow it to cut to our hearts to transform us because God is just. He's good. He's righteous. The sword is two-edged because it depicts the potency and the power in exposing and judging the innermost thoughts of the human heart. This is, this is a big deal. We, we must cling to this truth that God is just. We must yield to his authority. The word never. The word never yields a dull edge. On one note, this is not a positive introduction. It's a threatening one. It's negative. Because the church in Pergamum is facing imminent judgment. But can I flip that? Can I expose the love of God in his justice? Like a parent, I experienced this many times where I would warn my kids of the path or the destruction or the suffering they were putting themselves on based on their choices. It was out of love that I did this. Yes, God is just, but he's just because he loves deeply. And he's just because he's perfect and righteous. And if he didn't judge justly, he wouldn't be good. And that wouldn't be loving. He realizes that this church doesn't see disaster looming. They've compromised. That they're a short step from getting so compromised with the world they don't even see that they're forsaking God altogether and they're getting ready to face his wrath reason number one that you and I need to cling to the truth of Jesus is because God is just Jesus is just verse 13 gives us reason number two to cling to truth I know where you dwell it says in verse 13 where Satan's throne is yet you hold fast to my name you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. We must cling to truth and not compromise as faithful witnesses to the goodness of Jesus Christ in our lives. We must cling to truth because we are given a testimony for others to see the goodness and justice of God. I know where you dwell. He, he makes a declaration that he understands the reality of persecution. We talked about this last week. I know where you live. I'm familiar with your environment, your culture, your city. It is pagan. They worship false gods. Satan's kingdom, his throne is in the midst 
I understand how hard it is. I'm right there with you. In Satan's temporal kingdom, you're dwelling. This Greek word for dwell implies permanent residence. One commentator really opened my eyes and says, the church in Pergamon made a, a cognitive, permanent decision to stay where they were. To endure suffering. They decided to stay in the midst of the noise, the violence, the corruption, the temptation, so they could shine their witness Christ's witness in that city's darkness. He is commending them. I know where you live. I know it's hard. I know it's a struggle. You're suffering for your faith. As a matter of fact, one of your faithful died in front of you. It says two things about Antipas. He was a faithful witness in the midst of suffering. He was a martyr. He died among you. Witness is translated martis. It's the word that eventually became translated into the English language as martyr because so many witnesses for Christ paid their lives. Here is a man who paid the ultimate price for his refusal to compromise. You notice it says, you did not deny my faith even when the persecution was so bad and Antipas died in front of you. You didn't compromise on that level. In the midst of suffering and persecution in a wicked city that had false worship and that was pushing you to worship false gods, you endured and you didn't deny who I am. Because of his faithfulness, Jesus praises Antipas for his faithfulness. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, we cannot compromise because of our witness to others. In the midst of hurt and pain and suffering, we must cling to truth. Compromise will always ruin your testimony. And we all face this. I am included the temptation to compromise. It's Charles Spurgeon that said, I believe that one reason why the church of God at this present moment has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. The testimony of Jesus transforming lives is being squashed by the world because we compromise. We have to grip truth because Jesus is just and because he has transformed our lives and our testimony speaks and shines light into a dark world. And then he moves to the third reason we must cling to truth. Verse 14, but I have a few things against you. I'm commending you for enduring suffering and keeping your testimony, but we got to talk about some stuff. I have a few things against you. Some of you are holding to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, 
so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idol, and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitan. You see what's happening here. Satan has not been able to get to the church of Pergamum and destroy it like a roaring lion. It didn't work. He tried to persecute it, bring fear to it, and they stood that test. And so he's making inroads by sneaking in as a deceiving serpent. A group of compromising people have infiltrated the church fellowship and Christ hates their doctrine and their practices. And we saw that in the church of Ephesus. We must cling to truth because God is just. We must cling to truth because we have a testimony to the non-believing world, the, the hurting and dark world. And we must cling to truth because sin contaminates. Because of the contamination of sin. Now, many of you know I did youth ministry for a long time. And I joke about you can take the youth pastor out of the youth ministry, but you can't take the youth ministry out of the youth pastor. I don't know if I said that right, but you get what I'm saying. And I remember as an intern, by the way, being a youth intern is the, I've learned, I miss those, it's the best seat in the house. Because you can do stuff wrong and you just don't get in trouble. Our youth intern is amazing. Olivia, please don't take my advice on this and give Chris grief. But I wanted to teach the youth, I was Steve Dirksen's intern, the contamination of sin. And the youth guys in the room are going, I know exactly where he's going. And the first time I did this was as youth intern. I was teaching the junior hires, about 150 junior hires in the room, and I wanted to teach them the destructiveness and the deceit and the lure of sin. And so I got up and I began my sermon by talking about these homemade brownies that I had made. And some of you may know where I'm going. And I handed them out. I said, don't eat them yet. I asked, how many of you like brownies? Ah, oh, they raised their hand. We handed out these little brownie squares. All right, take a bite. Oh, does it taste good? Yeah, it's really good. And I'm, okay, well, I used a special ingredient for these brownies. I mixed the whole batch up. And I went out in my backyard, and I just took a little tiny itty-bitty piece of dog poo, and I mixed it in there. Sorry, youth ministry, come back. And every kid goes, oh, except for two guys in the back. was like, yeah, I love that, actually. It tastes good. They didn't get the point. Just a little bit of sin contaminates the whole thing. And I wanted them to get that. Well, Steve got multiple calls on that deal. I was in his office the next day, and he got in trouble. And I said, no, Steve, I really didn't do that. It was just a metaphor. I actually didn't actually do that. But I failed to tell the kids that, and so that was a lesson learned on my part. You see, here's, here's what we have here. They've compromised. They don't realize that the seriousness of even in the smallest way, sin can contaminate your life and lead you 
away. We see this in the Old Testament. That's why he references the Old Testament. It's still alive and well in our lives today that we compromise this way. He's referencing Balaam that reaches all the way back to Numbers 22 and 25, where we see a so-called prophet for pray, uh, pay, I mean, pray is another word, who tries to lead Israel astray. I encourage you to go read the story in Numbers 22 and 25. They were wandering in the wilderness, and he encourages them to marry foreign idol worshipers in surrounding nations and worship the gods through idolatrous, idolatrous immorality. The Balaamites that Pergamum were facing encouraged the exact same things, idolatry, sexual immorality, fueled by selfishness and greed and lust and division. Listen, it does not take long for the practice of compromise to become the pattern of compromise, where it's just natural. One of the most influential authors in my life is A.W. Tozer. Um, I'm constantly reading his stuff over and over and over again because I can't fully understand it. He says this. One compromise here, another there, and soon the so-called Christian and the man of the world look the same. Religion today is not transforming people. Rather, it's being transformed by people. He wrote this in the 1940s. It's not raising the moral level of society. It is descending to society's own level. And it's congratulating itself as the society accepts it. As the society accepts its compromise. This is the church of Pergamum. They've compromised. They've accepted false teaching and false doctrine and immorality and immoral practices. They've accepted the Nicolaitans. Remember them? We talked about them in the first letter, the church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus was praised. It was probably the best part of that first letter. They were praised for hating the deeds of the Nicolaitans. The leadership in per Pergamum has accepted the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Ephesus understood how to love the sinner and reject the sin. Pergamum is choosing to love the sinner and accept the sin. We face the same temptation today. We all face this. How? 
how do we not compromise in a world where tolerance has been redefined? We'll talk about that next week. The name Pergamum means married. Think about that. It's reminding us that as the church, as followers of Jesus, we're engaged to Christ. We're the bride of Christ. We're commanded to keep it pure. The church, the congregation, the individual Christian that compromise with the world to avoid suffering or gain achievement or acceptance is committing spiritual adultery and being unfaithful to Christ. The contamination of sin lures us into this. We must cling to truth. I keep saying that. What does that mean? Cling to truth. We follow Jesus. Jesus did not compromise. It's part of his character and his integrity linked to his father and himself as God. He wouldn't line up with the culture's system of works and self-righteousness. He rejected their interpretation of the law, Matthew 5, 21. He rejected their superficial and hypocritical righteousness, Matthew chapter 6. He rejected their love for money, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. In short, he wouldn't give in to their program. He didn't compromise. It's integrity that we pursue as we follow Jesus. Dictionary defines integrity as a steadfast adherence to a strict moral and ethical code, a state of being unimpaired soundness, a quality or condition of the whole and undivided person. This word integrity... Brings with it honesty, sincerity, and incorruptibility. Integrity describes somebody that's not a hypocrite. It doesn't mean the person is perfect. It means the person doesn't fake like they're perfect. Integrity is the badge every true Christian, every believer needs to pursue in Christ. We need to stand guard together against spiritual tolerance and worldly compromise because what we're being taught here is that if the enemy cannot curse us, he wants to corrupt us. If he cannot get at us through persecution, 
he is going to try and cause perversion. If he can't kill the church, he's going to join the church. And so he calls for them to repent. Churches, I think, avoid repentance because they are void of defining sin. This word repent means to change your mind so that then your behavior changes. A.W. Tozer said the most influential writer in his life, apart from the Bible, was Francis Fenelon. So I've grabbed a few books. They're even harder to read than Tozer. But he says this, the idea that God will pardon a rebel who has not given up his rebellion is contrary both to scripture and to common sense. We're called to repent. And then the fourth reason for clinging to truth is the promises of God. He says, therefore repent. If not, I will come to you and war against you with the sword of my mouth. He goes right back to his justice. And he says, he who has an ear, let him hear. Let him hear. Hear the voice of God so you can heed the commands of God. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some hidden manna. This is a promise. Hidden manna. He will sustain and he will nourish. This is the flavor honey bread that God let fall from the skies to feed the Israelites in the wilderness. The hidden manna symbolizes a blessing, a benefit of knowing Christ. I will give the white stone. This is a declaration of innocence and blessing and reward. There's a lot of speculation to the white stone symbolization or what it symbolizes. But most identify the white stone as an award that's given for the athlete that is victorious. The white stone is inscribed with the athlete's name. It serves as a ticket to a special awards banquet. Most commentaries take this interpretation. This new name is written on the stone. It's the believer's admission to eternal glory. The Pergamum church faces the same choice we face today. We must repent and receive God's forgiveness. We must not compromise, not as a church, not as individuals. And in closing, I just want to give a very simple, not perfect application to how we do this. As we prepare to close and worship through music, I want to invite you wherever you're at to go ahead and stand. As we close our ser service in worshiping through music, how do we keep from compromising? What is one thing we can do? We need to belong. We need to be together in community. You need to be in the church and a part of the church. In accountable relationships, you need to be known and you need to know. You need to know Christ and be known by him and you need to be together with others. Let them know 
your struggles. Let them help you walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. If you are by yourself or just a viewing Sunday Christian, you will compromise. We must hold each other accountable out of love and grace like a family is called to do. Lord, we love you. May your words convict and penetrate our hearts with hope and resolve. As we follow you, let us follow you together. Lord, bind us together in unity to be wise as we compromise with each other and to hold each other accountable, not to compromise with the world. This is our prayer this morning in your name.